Lord God of heaven, we come before you right now again in complete uh, adoration for you and ask that you speak to us right now through your word. May our ears be open, our hearts be open to receive what you have to tell us. May all those distractions that are out there in the world fall by the wayside. And may we just completely focus on what you have to tell us and what you want to reveal to us. Lord, your word is life. And we believe every single line, every single dot, every single part that's written in in your word. And we ask right now that that it may come alive to us. May we receive you and and receive the knowledge that you want to give us. Or use me to speak clearly, to speak boldly, unashamedly, Lord. Let me glorify you, Lord, with with what you have showed me so that I can pass it on to others. Thank you for this time. Thank you for this day. Praise you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so uh, I'm going to get kind of right into it um, because I think there's, there's some really great information here. There's a lot of things that I really believe the Lord want, has showed me as I prepared this study and I think that the Lord wants to show you as well. As I said, we're going to be in Mark chapter 6. Um, and we just finished um, the first, I believe, the first 29 verses last week. We're going to be starting in verse 30 this week. But before I get begin reading, um, I want to kind of set up what's going on here. After the horrific death of John the Baptist, our passage this morning picks up right after, Je- right after Jesus' disciples had come back from the work Jesus had told them to do. If you recall in Mark chapter 6, verse 7, starting in verse 7, Jesus has sent out his disciples in pairs to preach, to heal the sick, and to drive out evil spirits from from people that were possessed. Now what we're going to find out about today as they come back and share this, share what's going on or the continuation of that, we're going to find out these things about Jesus within these 15 verses. We're going to find out, we're going to, you're going to see how he enjoys hearing and spending time with those, he, th- those that love him. He wants to have a continual heart of service. He will use a little and make a lot with it. And the bread he provides is absolutely filling and satisfying. Now, what I hope you come away with understanding is that as we grow in Christ and begin to serve others, spending time with Christ is important and shouldn't be neglected. Sometimes the greatest lessons he teaches us comes when he asks us to be alone with him. So let's uh, begin reading here. 
as I said, I'm going to kind of go in, go in parts and pieces, um, again, just to explain what's going on and to give a little bit of application. So again, Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 30. says the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had all that they had done and taught and he said to them come away by yourselves to a remote place and rest for a while for many people were coming and going and they didn't even have time to eat so that so they went away in the boat by themselves to a remote place but saw but many saw them leaving and recognized them People ran there by land from all, from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. So as he stepped ashore, he saw a huge crowd and had a compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Then he began to teach them many things. Our passage begins this morning with the disciples gathering around Jesus and telling him about everything they had done and everything they experienced. Again, going back to uh, verse 7 of chapter 6, he had sent them out in pairs and they were just released god had uh, jesus had told them hey you know what you've i've been teaching you now for a while i want you to apply now what i've been teaching you what you've been seeing me do so he gave them authority he gave them power to go out and and preach heal the sick and drive out demons but what was going on here as they gathered around him around him uh the details including just the emotional aspect of these stories because a story it's just a story that doesn't really have any meaning behind it if there's not any, if you can't sense the emotion behind it. If I'm excited to tell you about, hey, you know what, you should have, you should have seen what I saw God do or what, I, what, what God um, did in this person's life and as I preached the word of God to them, if it, there's no meaning, excitement behind it, there's no feeling behind it, it's just, it, it doesn't have that much of an impact. So as these disciples were gathering around Jesus, that's what they were attempting to do. They, were, they, they wanted to share what was going on. But see, all these distractions were going on that they just couldn't. They couldn't really um, get, Jesus really couldn't get the full impact of the story. Even, even the disciples, because again, they were all split up. And so they couldn't really get the feel of what was going on with each, with each pair. Um, so a lot of stuff was being missed because of the distractions that were going on around them. In fact, we were even told that it was so distracting that they couldn't even enjoy a meal together. They gathered around and, and they, you know, they wanted to eat. They wanted to just get together and, and just have a meal together, and they couldn't. It was just too distracting. So Jesus suggests, come away by yourselves to a remote place and rest for a while. In other words, what he was telling them, let's get out of here to a more quieter place so that we can relax and talk. And that was the heart of Jesus, you know, with his disciples, with his people. Just let me, you know, I know it's distracting here and there's just all kinds of stuff going on. But let me just go and just spend time with you. Let me, let me share with you. Let, I want to hear what you have to say. Let me share with you what I want to tell you about that or this or that. That's what, was, that's what was in the heart of Jesus. So yes, in other words, he was, he was saying, let's get out of here to a more quieter place where we can relax and talk. Now, in a way, I can, I think all of us can relate to this. You know, I know that w my wife and I, I we, we like to sit down at our kitchen table 
and we like to discuss and talk and share things and, and see what's going on in each other's lives, especially if it's been a busy week. But we know that sometimes it's hard, especially when, when you know, all the kids are there because there's always a, you know, when we're in the middle of something, there's always someone saying, hey, mom, can I have this and can I do this? Or, you know, there's always some kind of distraction, you know. Um, I have another kid that's not here is always asking, hey, can, I, can you take me to the skate park? And, and uh, you know, we don't mind doing these things, but it takes away from the, from the deep things that we're just trying to share with each other. And sometimes we do. We're like, hey, you just want to go upstairs and just talk. Um, and sometimes even there, there is some more privacy in our room up there, but even then, I mean, we, sometimes we have our little girl that just kind of just kicks the door down and says, hey, I'm here, what's going on? What are you guys doing? Um, you know, and I, you know, again, I, I know it's gonna happen. I know what it is. I know that it's, you know, and that's fine. Um, and I think that's what here is going on is like, he wants to have this conversation with his disciples, but again, all these distractions was, were going on. So they take a suggestion and they get on a boat in order to go to a more secluded location. However, what we see in verse 33 is that they were just too recognizable. They were too recognizable to leave without being noticed. And so as they get on this boat and they start making their way to that secluded private or that secluded area, the people start noticing you know, that, that this boat is going somewhere and they start to track, you know, I, I, you know and these are smart people, they, they start to track where that boat may be going. You know, especially those that are from the area, they know, just like we know here, what, if we wanted some privacy, if we just wanted to go somewhere and talk, um, one of the most likely locations people will go to around here is either to one of the parks or maybe even on top of the mountain. Um, you know, there's just, people know about these areas. Now, if you're not from here, then that may be, if I said, hey, we're gonna go talk at, at the park by Tom Lee Elementary, you may not know what, what, what we're talking about. Or if I say, I'm gonna we'll just go talk on top of Trans Mountain, you may not know what I'm necessarily saying. But again, these people that were from the region, they probably already knew, hey, you know, th we know that they probably wanna go talk and, and uh, no, we, we, we also wanna hear what Jesus has to say. So they begin tracking Jesus. They begin tracking this boat. And all of a sudden, they, again, they notice, they figure out where they're, where they're likely heading. Now, when Jesus mentions, mentioned to these disciples, hey, let's go to a secluded place, it didn't necessarily mean a private place. And that's, and that's key there because had he said, let's go to a private place, I'm sure that he would have found some area and he would have cordoned it off and he would, but no, all he wanted to do was just find a secluded area, a more quieter area to talk. So he wasn't, it wasn't like he was trying to kick people out and say, you're not welcomed here. You know, uh, it wasn't like that at all. Um, now, when Jesus mentioned, I'm sorry, his intentions were just to go somewhere less crowded where they were going to again, be able to talk. So once it became obvious, it says, where they were going, it says, people ran there by land and from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. Now, we come to find out that in, in Luke chapter 9, Luke chapter 9, verse 10, actually tells us they went to the, th the town of Bethsaida. Um, and what we, I think this is also an interesting scene because you see all kinds of people just running to Bethsaida. 
there I can imagine just them doing a full-on sprint we know where we're going he's going to Pasadena and just you see them just doing that full sprint hey let's go there let's just and you see people from all the towns again Jesus popularity now had grown so much he had become so unknown by this time if you remember he's he's uh, he's raised a little girl from the dead um, he's healed so many you know, all kinds of people um, he's done so many works that it's it's he doesn't have a low profile everybody that knows everybody that knows him and knows about him is going to want to go see where where he's at and want to go talk to him want to go hear what he has to say so like i said they make full-on sprints a full-on sprint to to this town of Bethsaida. but notice what happens notice what happens as soon as jesus gets off the boat he sees this huge crowd and it says he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Now I think it's interesting that Jesus decided to use the analogy of a sheep to describe the crowds that were waiting for him. It's, that was what's in his heart. He was like, man, these are, these are like sheep without a shepherd. And I think it's, it's definitely interesting that he uses that analogy. So, I, so as I was reading this, I was like, why? Why did he make that comparison? Why did he use that analogy of using a sheep. Why do sheep need a shepherd? And so I did a little bit of research and I, I, I there was a lot of stuff there, but I just want to get down to the to the core of it and why sheep need a shepherd. And th well, this is what I discovered. Sheep need a shepherd because they are not the smartest animals. There was a case in Turkey where a flock of sheep were left unattended. One of the sheep took it upon himself to be the leader and it, when it wandered off, it wandered off and fell off a cliff. Now when that one sheep wandered off and fell over a cliff, 400 of them had followed it and died instantly. <coughs> now another, four, another 1,100 had been injured, had fell, and were, the only reason they didn't die was because these 400 had pretty much broken their fall. So these 1,100, um, you had 1,100 that were injured. Now the estimated loss at that time was, well, it was estimated at $74,000. But again, my point here is, in being is that sheep without a shepherd aren't very, very smart. Now the other thing too is that sheep need shepherds because they are directionless. Sheep are prone to wander, even in a perfect environment where the grass is green and they have everything they need, they have the shade of the tree and, and things are just perfect for them. Tend, they tend to wander. If a shepherd doesn't manage them, they will eventually wander off and be lost. The other thing is that sheep need a shepherd because they are defenseless. Left to themselves, sheep will not and cannot last, last very long. They don't have a defense mechanism like most animals. Put sheep in the wild and all you have, are, all you have for predators are lamb chops. They, they're just food there. You know, they, they're not fast animals. They don't have these, these claws. You know, they don't have fangs to defend themselves. They don't have uh, spiky things like porcupines have. They, they're just there. They don't have a defense mechanism. So they're, you know, again, a predator comes, a wolf comes, a lion comes, and 
All they are is just, just food. So again, they're just the, the defenseless. So he sees, when he sees them, he says, yeah, they're like, these people are like sheep without a shepherd. And he has compassion on them. <coughs> and that's, again, an amazing, I think a wonderful, beautiful characteristic about Jesus is that the compassion that he has and his compassion is so strong that it overwhelms him. And what does he do? He's like, I, I got to teach them. I got to teach them. And that's what he does. You know, he, he, he tells his disciples, hey, you know what? I know we're going to spend some time together, but man, look at, look at these people. And, and, and so he, he begins. He just shares his heart. He starts teaching from the scriptures and starts um, telling them that, hey, you know, there is an answer. I'm here to be your shepherd. Here's an, an important, some important aspects I want you to understand. Just about these first few, few verses. If you ever feel that Jesus has better things to do than to listen to you, what we see here is that, that that's the furthest from the truth. Did he tell his disciples, okay, I'm, I'm glad you're back. We have so much more work we have to do. Let's just get to it. No, he, he doesn't do that. He, he doesn't, he's not like, hey, okay, well, you did what you got to do. You, you, know, you fulfilled your mission, your job. Just keep going. No, he, he tells Jesus wants to hear all about their stories. So much so, that he, so much so that he was like, let's go. Let's go to a quieter place and talk. Jesus Christ, in the same way Jesus Christ wants to hear from you about everything, about anything, at every moment and, of every, and in ev of every day. Even when things around you are the busiest, even when, when it may seem like the world around you is falling apart and the stress and, and there's all these distractions going on around you, Jesus wants, you to, wants to take you to a quieter place to spend time with you. I once heard someone say, if we don't come apart, we'll fall apart. It's vital. It's important that we spend time throughout the day, quality time with the Lord. Whether it just be in prayer, whether it just be in meditation of God's word. There's always, I know for many of us, our, 20, our 12 hours, 24 hours are just full. And believe me, I understand my schedule is, is it can be hectic at times. You know, my wife and I were having this conversation of just like how tough it is to, to, to be able to have any free time, just to be able to spend amongst each other or just, just to do things on our own. I mean, we've, you know, all this stuff going on, not just in, in, in ministry, but with our jobs and with the needs of our children and, um, we know that it's busy, but still, the Lord wants to just hear about what's going on with us. He wants us to set apart some time just to pray, to meditate, to, to hear what, he, to hear us out. I want to I read to you a few things the Bible says about prayer. In Jeremiah 33.3 it says, Call to me and I will answer you and tell you the great and 
incompre incomprehensible things you do not know. It says in Ephesians 6.18, pray at all times in the spirit with every prayer and request and stay alert. And stay alert in this with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. And finally, during those times where you, you want to just be with the Lord and you want to just spend time, and you just don't know what to pray, you don't know how to pray. You know, you don't have to, sometimes you just don't have to say anything. You just sit there. Romans 8.26 says, In the same way the Spirit also joins to help us in our weaknesses. Because we do not know what to pray for as we should, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with unspoken groanings. Because again, sometimes we can just sit there and just ask the Lord just to hear us, minister to us, speak to us. And that's what He wants to do, is just spend time with you. The other thing I hope you see in these first few verses is that if you want to be more effective in sharing the love and sacrifice of Jesus Christ, is to see people the way He saw them, with compassion. With compassion because they're like sheep without a shepherd, especially those that are unbelievers. So many people, we have our own sphere of influences. We, you know, we, we know people within our workplaces and our schools that just don't know Christ. They have an idea, and I, I talked about this a little bit last week. They, they have an idea about Christ, and maybe they have their own, um, they've been misinformed about who Christ is. But, you know, they don't know Him. They don't know who He is. They don't have this intimate relationship like you do with Christ. We have to see these people like sheep without a shepherd. I bet you, more than anything, that there were some in that crowd. When Jesus saw this crowd, I bet you more than anything, there was people in that crowd that weren't different than any that we see outside these walls, outside of any church walls, outside of any, any church building. They were the, the same people, same problems, same sins. There were people that were probably drunkards, that were probably idolaters, that were probably murderers adulterers, and yes, maybe even homosexuals that were just needed, were looking for something, and they knew that Jesus had the answer. There was this something about Jesus that said, hey, I need to hear this guy out. They were all looking for a shepherd to lead them. Now, did Jesus step off the boat and begin bashing them with their sins? Did he start beating them up with a bat because of what? Because of their, the, the sins that they were in? No, he didn't. We're told that he had compassion and began to teach them. So likewise, with that friend, with that coworker, with that family member, or with that classmate, have compassion and share the good news about Jesus Christ. Allow that compassion of Christ to move you as you tell them about Jesus. Don't come at it with all this head knowledge and try to, you know, come up with all these um, uh, the Christianese and, and all these um, theological doctrinal terms and 
No, just come at them with, meet them where they're at and have compassion as you share the love of Christ. Again, allow that compassion to move you as you tell them how Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. You see, it's not your role or your responsibility to convict them of their sins. That's God's job. It's God's job to, to, to convict them and to, to reveal to them, hey, you know what? You're a thief. You're a liar. You're an adulterer. You're an idolater. That's His job. Yes, we can mention it. We can say, hey, you know, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But really, that's His job. Our job isn't to beat anybody up with, with a theological bat and say, hey, you know what? You're, you know, you, you repent now or you're going to hell. I mean, yeah, that, that's the truth. That, that, that is the truth. But you know what? That's not what unbelievers want to hear. That's not what they need to hear. And that's not, again, what Jesus did as soon as you stepped off the boat. He had compassion on them and just began to teach them. Now let's continue. Let me read again, starting in verse 35. In verse 35, it says, When it was already late, his disciples approached him and said, This place is a wilderness, and it's already late. Send them away so that we can go, so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages to buy themselves something to eat. You give them something to eat, he responded. They said to him, Should we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? And he asked them, how many loaves do you have? Go look. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then he instructed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in ranks of hundreds and fifties. One of the things we discover here about Jesus in verse 35 and 36 is that when Jesus taught he, in, he ended up, he, he tended to teach for extended periods of time. And Jesus had an absolutely amazing way of just captivating a crowd. And it was one of those, you know, it was a, he had a way of captivating that whatever he said didn't even seem like it was long at all. Even if he was speaking for hours on end, I don't think people were bored. You know, we have examples in already, as we were seeing in the first six chapters of Mark, that, he, that they saw that Jesus always taught with authority, and he always left people in awe. So he had a way, again, of just communicating simply and in a way that related to them. He always used examples, and he always used stories that they could easily relate to, to, to. Again, what may have been hours may have only seemed like minutes for them because Jesus was so good at preaching. And look, I, I, I know that sometimes it may be difficult to sit here for f just 40 minutes or more. And, and believe me, I, like, I, I'm, I'm trying to, to find a way to work it out so it doesn't seem like it's that long. I, you know, really, my goal is to leave it to, to teach 30, 40 minutes. 
And I know sometimes it's hard. I do believe that maybe with time, it'll get easier or better. I don't know for you or for me, but it'll get, you know, maybe it'll get, it'll get easier. But I don't believe Jesus ever, ever bored anybody. He was just so good at what he did. The other thing I want you to notice is that even though the disciples suggested, even though that, even though the, the disciples' suggestions sounded like a good idea, they may have actually had different motives for that suggestion. I think all they wanted to do as they were, as they were on this boat, as, as they were with Jesus, is just to rest. They, wanted, they just wanted to rest, eat, and just spend time with Jesus. Now, when they initially, let me ask you a question. When they initially got on the boat, do you think they were expecting to minister to f- over 5,000 people? No, they, it wasn't, you know, if you put yourself in that particular place at that particular time, they, they weren't expecting that, you know, they were going to end up, that Jesus was going to end up teaching these people, these, this, crowd, this crowd of people. For them, they, all they had in their mind was, Okay, we're going to spend time with Jesus. We're going to eat and just hang out and, and talk. But as it was getting late, as Jesus did get out and started teaching, as it was getting late, it's easy to understand why they wanted Jesus to send the crowds away. Okay, Jesus, you've been teaching them long enough. Hey, um, yeah, we hear stomachs rumbling. We, we do. I mean, everyone's looking hungry. Everyone's starting to... And, but that was just their perception. It may not have been the truth, but... You know, they just, they were like, you've ever been there? You're like, you, you, you're expecting to do one thing and all of a sudden something else happens and then you're like, ah, yeah, it's almost like a sense of disappointment or it's almost a sense of like, that wasn't supposed to happen and then just it seems like your whole world just falls apart. I think in their mind, and again, this is just a, a possibility that, that they were like, we were, Jesus, we were supposed to spend time with you. And now, look, it's getting late, and, and you're just teaching, and, and, okay, hey, send them out to go buy something to eat. I know they're hungry, and, and the funny thing is, they were hungry themselves, too. If you remember back in verse 30, the distractions had prevented them from eating. So they were tired, too. They were hungry. And now it's getting late, and they're... And they know that Jesus, you know, they have a busy schedule and their only time to spend G- time with Jesus was, was being taken away. The problem that we see here is that even though, even if they did have the best intentions in mind, even though they, if they were thinking about the crowds of people and even if they, they were thinking, hey, they need to go get something to eat, they were basically telling Jesus what to do rather than asking what they ought to do. However, as we see in verse 37, as verse 37 tells us, Jesus had something else in mind. Jesus understood what was going on here again and says to them, you give them something to eat. They probably thought, they probably heard this and thought, are you joking? Are you, are you serious? You want us to f- feed them? You want us to, to feed all these people? I mean, we're tired, we're hungry, we just came back from ministering to, to all these people, and, and now you want us to, to feed them? Or maybe they thought, 
is, doesn't he know what our provisions are? Doesn't he know what we have? He probably doesn't. Even, he probably wasn't even aware. They probably thinking they, Jesus wasn't even aware what he was telling them what to do. Now, a quick little fact: a denarii. You know, he mentions a denarii here, or two hundred denarii. At that time, one denarii was about one day's wage of work. So, two hundred denarii would have been about one years of wages. So when they, when they pose their question, when they respond to Jesus at the, at the end of verse 37, it's almost, it almost sounds as if they're trying to reciprocate what they believe to be an exaggerated command by Jesus. They tell him at the end of verse 37, Should we go out and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? Now I try to, I try to come up with something, maybe an example of what this might look like. And this is the best I can come up with. It I, it would be as if I told Robin, hey, you know what? Go next door to Great American Steakhouse and buy the most expensive menu item that's in there and buy it for everyone that's in here. And she was to come up to me and then asks me, do I have a million dollars in the bank to pay for it? You know, it would be something similar to that. So do you see it was that, that, that back and forth respond? They, they kind of you know, thought that he was exaggerating, so they give an exaggerated statement to him. Now, when he tells the disciples in verse 38 to take inventory of what they have available, they hope that by telling them that they only had five loaves and two fish, it would convince Jesus about the facts. It would convince Jesus that the facts and the, I'm sorry, it would convince Jesus about the facts and it would reveal that they were in fact right and he was wrong. Again, what they failed to understand was that this wasn't a matter of who was right and who was wrong. Rather, it was a matter of trust and confidence that Jesus says what he means and means what he says. Now, after coming back and telling them, hey, Jesus, we only have five loaves and two fish, Verse 39 and 40 tell us that Jesus orders them all to sit in groups on the green grass. They're going to have this, you know, they, they were going to have this tr- humongous picnic there on the green grass in Bethsaida. Now it was at this point that they began to see that Jesus was indeed serious. I'm like, oh my goodness, he's not joking. He's serious. He wants us to feed them. How are we going to feed them? We only have five loaves and two fish. Their minds had become so clouded with what they wanted, what, what they wanted at that particular moment and the missed opportunity that they weren't seeing that Jesus works outside of the facts. What had he, what they, what had he done already? He had, they had seen him calm the storm they had seen him raise the little girl from the dead. They had seen him um, do all kinds of healings and, and drive out demons from people. And now they were like, how, how, how is he going to feed? How are we going to feed more than 5,000 people with just five loaves and two fish? And I think it also dawned on them that Jesus had always... And I think it was at this point also that, that it finally dawned on them that Jesus operated outside the facts, as I mentioned, and his situation was no different than the others. 
Now, anybody that's involved in any type of ministry ought to always have the best interest of others in mind. If you're involved in ministry, if you desire to be involved in ministry, your heart should always be to have the best interest of others in mind. Otherwise, if they're not, you're only doing it for selfish reasons. You're only doing it to, to gain notoriety. You're only doing it to, for that self-accomplishment. We've been called to build up the kingdom of God, not our resumes of achievements. We're not called to go to, ch- to the next church and say, you know what, I've done this and I've done th- that and I've been part of this. And no, you're, you're called to serve. To serve those in the, you know, in the body of Christ. To serve those that don't have a shepherd and to bring them back to the flock or to show them where that flock is. Again, we have to be, we have to have a heart of selflessness. Be, and to be humble and to be able to say, you know what, this isn't about me. This is about building the kingdom of God. Listen to what Paul told the elders in Ephesus in Acts 20, 24. He says, but I count my life of no value to myself so that I may finish my course and the ministry I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of God's grace. As Christians, when we're serving, it's important that we ask God what His will is in challenging situations (laughs) rather than try to impose our own will on Him to take care of it. When we do this, we tend to forget that His way is not only better, but there's a bigger and greater purpose behind it. If we're not abiding in God's will, we'll end up making the same mistake that disciples will. That's why rather than telling God what to do, we should ask Him what we ought to do. Now yes, we can come in prayer to God and say, Lord, I, 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 I'm asking you please heal my loved one or please, you know, I, I want my, my mother, my brother, my sisters or to come to know you and we shouldn't try to impose our own will. And this is what I'm saying is that you shouldn't, we shouldn't try to force things to happen. We pray about it and just ask the Lord, you know, just let your will be done. And it could take time. It may not happen immediately. It may not happen, it may not even happen during your, your lifespan. You could, you know, but God has a plan. He has, His will is perfect. And He knows what He's doing. We just have to abide in that. We just have to be, we have to trust in that and just say, you know what, Lord, you know what you're doing. And I trust you. And I believe you. And you know what? What happens when we do that? It gives us a sense of peace. We get anxious about things that are going on in this world and and things that are happening and in our government and politics right now and and how crazy things are and you know but at the end of the day we have to remember God's in control he knows what he's doing you may be upset that a family member hurt you or he did they did this or she did that or and now 
this got you all upset. But again, he has a will behind everything. <coughs> Brothers and sisters in Christ, we have a God that knows exactly what you have to offer. And that's the other thing I wanted to mention here about these just these verse these these verses I covered. Again, we have a God that knows exactly what you have to offer. And although you may not think it's not much, although all you have to offer is five loaves and two fish, if you allow him to, he will use those five loaves and two fish and use it to bless so many more with it. You may not have much. I honestly don't believe I have much to offer you know, I don't have the greatest, like Paul, I do when I hear him say, you know, I'm not a, you know, eloquent person. I don't have these, you know, this, this, you know, I don't know how to talk. And I don't, at the times I don't either. I don't even make, sometimes make sense to myself. I don't have much to offer, but you know what, what I do have to offer, I give it to him. I have a mouth, I have words, I have a brain. And I say, Lord, here, this is what I give you and just use it. You may not have, you may think that you don't have much to offer, but what the little you do have, give it to him and watch him. Watch him use what you have to bless so many more people with it. You know, if you have two hands, use it to, to, to help others to, to go out. Maybe if the Lord's calling you to out into the mission field, you know, help build homes for those in third world countries or you know, if you have feet, go and spread the gospel. Just use what he's given you for his glory, for his, you know, to, again, to build up the kingdom of God. We mustn't forget that we have a God that operates, that works and operates outside the facts. Again, the facts said that there were only five loaves and two fish can't forget that God operates outside of that. Let's finish up reading the rest of this passage, picking up in verse 41. Then he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up into heaven, he blessed it and broke the loaves. He kept giving, him, give, he kept giving them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. Everyone ate and was filled. Then they picked up the twelve baskets full of pieces of bread and fish. Now those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. He takes these two, what he has there available, these five loaves and these two fish, and he gathers them in his arms, in his hands. He looks up to heaven and blesses what he has, puts it again in, in, in God's hands and asks him, and I'm sure that was his prayer, Lord, let your will be done. These people are, these people are hungry. Use me to bless them. So he looks up to heaven again and, and he says a blessing. Then Jesus says, then Jesus breaks the bread and gives it to the disciples and they distribute it, they begin to distribute it in all the groups. And then he does the same thing to the fish. 
I think the most important aspect, the most important part of this entire passage is found in verse 41 where it says, everyone ate and was filled. Now, I like how, I like how the ESV puts it. I looked this passage up in the, in the English Standard Version, and I like how it puts it. And it says, they all ate and were satisfied. There wasn't a single person who didn't get to eat and no one was left still hungry, wanting for more. They were filled and were satisfied. Jesus provided for the physical nourishment of every man, woman, and child that sat on that grassy field that day or that evening. He came through. He provided. And it wasn't... And even if you were to ask him, he would say, you know what? I'm just doing the Father's will. He always gave credit where credit was due. And he always glorified his Father for everything that, every miracle that ever took place. But not only did they have enough to eat, but the disciples, says the disciples were able to collect 12 baskets full of extra pieces of bread and fish. Each, dis- each one of the disciples, each one of the 12 disciples were carrying baskets. Were carrying a basket full of fish and bread. There was enough. There was more than enough. There was an abundant amount of food left over. What this tells us about Jesus is that he doesn't stop providing at the bare minimum or just enough. Jesus provided and provides more than enough. Now Mark only records that the number that was fed was 5,000 men. But if you read Matthew 14, 21, we're told that there were also women and children there that weren't counted. Many Bible scholars believe that the number of people that was fed that day would have totaled about 15 to 20,000 people. 15 to 20,000 people with just five loaves and two fish. What an amazing sight that would have been to see. And all these people not hungry for more, being satisfied. Do you think the disciples got the message? Do you think the disciples learned something from this whole, this whole thing, this, everything they just, they just witnessed? Try to put yourself at that particular place and at that particular time. Do you think that Jesus performed this miracle to teach the crowds a lesson? Or did teach the disciples something about himself and about themselves? The only two people, I, I think the only, two, the only people that would have known about the five loaves and the two fish were Jesus and his disciples. Had the crowd known, all these people that were seeking and trying to figure out who Jesus is, and you know, had this crowd known what was really on hand or what they had at, uh, at hand, many of them probably would have been like, yeah, right. You're not going to be able to feed me with, with this, with five loaves and two fish. They would have probably just walked away and 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 looked for food for themselves. They probably would have fended for themselves. For all they knew, though, Jesus and his disciples were putting people in groups because they had more than enough food to feed everyone. Now, I'm more inclined to believe this story was meant to give the disciples 
a powerful reminder of where they were and who they were with. They had been away from Jesus for a while. And somehow, again, with all this stuff going on, the distractions, and, hey, Jesus, you're going to spend time with me and with us. And, and they, they were forgetting what Jesus was there to do, what they were meant to do, and what he had called them to do. You see, when Jesus sent them out in pairs, he sent them out with power and authority, with the bare minimum, and with no money or no food. Let me, let me give you a quick reminder there. Um, when he, it's, in, it's in chapter 6, verse, starting verse 8. He says, He instructed them to take nothing for the road except a walking stick. A walking stick. No bread, no traveling bag, no money in their belts. They were to wear sandals, but not put on an extra tunic. Not to put on an extra shirt. He sent them out with the bare minimum. With no food and no money. They had to depend completely on God and on the generosity of others. They also went out knowing and trusting and believing that Jesus had prepared and equipped them for the work that lay ahead. And as a result of having that trust and having that confidence and believing that God was going to provide for their needs, they were able to experience God work through their preaching, healing, and as they drove out evil spirits from people. So what they saw Jesus do within these five loaves, with these five loaves and these two fish, reminded them of those times that God came through for them when they didn't know how or where they were going to get their next meal. They couldn't pay for it. They didn't have money. They didn't know. They just depended on God, and God came through. There have been so many times in, in our lives as well, and maybe, again, I, maybe in your life as well, where we didn't know where we were going to come up with the money or the, the resources to come up with, you know, to, or to, to pay for this or pay for that or, you know, get buy the kids, you know, shoes or, you know, whatever it may be. And God came through. And what happens a lot of times is we get stuck in a jam when things are going well. And we're like, we start freaking out. We start like, Lord, how am I going to pay for my, my kids' shoes? And, uh, but we forget about how we trust and how he provided when we least expected it. And so as Jesus is performing this, as Jesus is feed, you know, feeding the crowd as they're going out and, and sharing this food and passing this bread, they're reminded, yeah, you know what? God provides. So again, what they saw Jesus do reminded them of those times God came through. The miracle, this miracle also reminded them of who exactly they were with. Notice how as soon as they were reunited with Jesus, as soon as they gathered around Jesus, they somehow began to convince themselves that they were done ministering. 
somehow they, they, in their minds again, they were thinking, okay, we're done, that's it, we're, we've come back, and now Jesus take over, you're going to do all the work and take care of it. So when Jesus tells them, you get them something to eat, he was essentially telling them that the work of serving is never done. The work of serving is continual and it never stops. Even when we're tired, even when we're exhausted, even when we're exhausted, the work of God is continual. It never stops. We, we may be tired, but this, that's when we ask the Lord, Lord give, us, give me the strength to keep serving because I'm just tired. Watch, watch him give you that strength. Serving doesn't stop at the church. It is a continual thing. And as they saw, this is this is this is uh, what I try to imagine too in my head. As they saw Jesus breaking loaf after loaf, fish after fish. It was also a proud reminder that Jesus is always aware and in control of every situation. And I mentioned a little bit of that earlier. But Jesus, he was tired too. He probably was hungry too. But he just kept breaking bread after bread. Again, for more than fifteen to 20,000 people. Imagine how tired he was after he was done. I, I, I would think that this fish was cooked because I can't imagine that, you know, raw fish is easy to break apart and, you know, it would have been just a big mess. But he kept doing it. Even though he was hands retired, maybe he had to sit down. Maybe he had to lay down and, and you know, and just break his bread. But he just kept doing it. And the disciples, all he would do is give the disciples this, the the... the these baskets of this bread, and he would just, they would just pass, keep passing it around, keep passing it around until more than 15 to 20,000 people were served. And again, it was a reminder for them of Jesus is always in control in every situation. They probably were reminded again how Jesus was on that boat with them, and that storm came along, and they started freaking out, and they woke Jesus, Jesus, uh, don't you care that we're going to die? He stands up and he goes to the front of the front of the boat and rebukes the wind and the sea. Wow. They were shocked. He's even in control of the elements of the sea and, and, and the air. And I think as they were picking up those twelve baskets, not only were they glorifying God and praising God for what they had just seen Jesus do. But maybe, just maybe, a little bit, there was a little bit of conviction inside of them. There was a little bit of conviction for telling Jesus what to do rather than asking what they ought to do. Let me finish up by, by just telling you, reminding you, I believe this story, now this story is recorded in all four of the Gospels. Matthew, and here in Mark, Luke and John. The story was so important 
I think it shows us so much about serving and about trusting the Lord and and relying on Him and being satisfied in Him. That it's it's so important that the, the, all four Gospels had to record it. But I think it's also to show us and remind us of a few things. The first one being that we have a God that wants to hear from you. We have a God that wants to spend time with you. It says in Psalm 1017, Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. You will strengthen their hearts. You will listen carefully. And it also says in Proverbs 8:17, I love those who love me, and there's those who search for me, find me. The second thing this shows us, this passage shows us, we must always have a heart for serving others. As a Christian, in ministry, as a Christian, ministry doesn't stop when you leave this church, and I saw I mentioned this, or move away. It doesn't stop there. Wherever you find, wherever you're at, find ways to serve those in need and to your fellow laborers. Find ways to serve. There's, you know, I, you may see a need here in the church that I don't see. I mean, yeah, we're a small church and we're growing and, and, and you know, but if you think of a need, if you see a need here, share it, mention it. And may, maybe, yeah, I'll be like, hey, take care of it. You know, I obviously, I, I mean, I, you know, we can't, I can't take care of everything, but if the Lord's calling you to do it, definitely, yeah, I mean, I want to encourage you to do it. Find ways, again, to serve those in need and your faithful laborers. The third thing we learn from this passage is to allow Jesus to use what you have to offer. God created you and called you to be his child and knows exactly, he knows exactly what you have to offer. It's just a matter of surrendering it to him and saying, Lord, this is what I have. It's not much, but this is what I have, and I give it to you. And watch him as he use it, as he'll use it to bless others, so many more others with it. And the last thing we can learn from this passage is that the bread that God offers us will always satisfy and never leave us hungry. I want to I want to share one more passage with you that relates to this to this to what I'm talking about here. If you don't mind, go I want you to go to the Gospel of John, chapter 6. John is going to be to your right. It's going to be Mark, Luke, and then right after that is going to be John. John chapter 6. And I'm going to read, starting in verse... Could be one second. I'm in, sorry, I'm in Luke. That's why I look weird.
Okay, Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 47. Let me read that to you. Jesus says, I assure you, anyone who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that anyone may eat of it. Anyone may eat of it and not die. He says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The bread that God offers us is always, always satisfies and will never leave us hungry. Jesus is that bread that came down from heaven. And that bread, partake of it, gives us eternal life. Last thing I want to cover real quickly and say is that, again, sometimes the biggest lessons that Jesus teaches us is that when he asks us to come away with him (coughs) and rest for a while, sometimes he teaches us so much and we just sit at his feet and we just rest. They were expecting one thing, but I think Jesus came through. Regardless of whether he spent time with them, alone time, he revealed an amazing truth to them. And I think they, they, find, they finally it dawned upon them and they, they realized it. Wow. Jesus is so wonderful and so amazing. And, and again, they fell in love with him again. Let me ask you a couple questions. Have you been satisfied by Jesus? Have you allowed him to just feed you and give you that bread? When was the last time you spent alone time with Jesus? And you may be going through some really difficult times, you may be stressed out, you may be, you know, there's all kinds of stuff going on, but was the last time you just sat down and just Lord I'm stressed out I'm I can't handle it this is tough this is I need you just to 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 minister to me right now when was the last time you did that I assure you that he's there he's waiting he's waiting for you just to let go and just like and just give it to him to share with him what's going on he wants to minister to you but you have to allow him to do that he won't force it on you he'll never force himself on you let's close in prayer Heavenly Father we we're so thankful for this story that you've shown to us Lord although this this originally was meant to teach the disciples something and now shows us something about ourselves 
and about who you are. Lord, if that's any of us and we just haven't, it's been a long time since we've spent time with you, I ask you that you forgive us. And we do, we ask that you minister to us. Lord, forgive us for being so selfish with our time. And, and Lord, we want to be able just to start living our lives selflessly. You've given us a wonderful reminder, a beautiful reminder that you are in control. I just ask right now, Lord, that you just, again, minister to each one of our needs, wherever we're at, wherever it's, go it's going on in our lives, or strengthen every believer, and let them see that you're there, and that you do feed, and you do provide more than enough, and that you do provide abundantly. They just won't do it bare minimum. Reveal that. Reveal this to all your children. Lord, I, and I do. I pray for those that are watching or listening or that haven't trusted in you, that are still holding back and that are like sheep without a shepherd are feeling that way, are just looking for that perfect shepherd to guide them and lead them. They're tired of being led by others that are just leading them down a death trap. Lord, I pray for them as well. I pray that you will show them exactly who you are and why Jesus Christ came here on this earth, Lord. They may able, I pray that they may be able just to sit there and just confess their sins to Christ and accept Him as Lord and Savior. And if that's, if that's you, just, it's just a matter of confessing it with your mouth believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and he will forgive you of your sins. Cry out to the Lord and he will he will minister to you, he will forgive you and you will have eternal life. Or strengthen all those new believers, all those people that have accepted you and again just minister to all believers that have been in ministry been serving for a long time as well Lord may they not grow tired and weary and may and when they do just minister to them Lord give them the strength that they need Thank you for this time. Thank you, Lord, for your word, for bringing us here together right now, Lord. 
I just ask that you bless this time, bless this day, that we just enjoy this time of fellowship. Lord, we, we adore you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.